I feel like last time we had a podcast, you've maybe done a few speaking engagements. I spoke at Arbor Moon at the Ann Arbor Cocoa Heads group about uh, Tri Swift, which was the conference I went to Labor Day week. And then I also talked about Speculate, which is a Mac app for developers that uh, I've been working on for building graphics for for apps. And I just talked about how it works and kind of the guts of the challenges I faced building the app. Nice. So what is iOS development? iOS, of course, is the operating system for iPads and iPhones. So typically it's the process of coding, designing, testing and packaging an app uh, and delivering it in whatever way a customer would want. Yeah. So if someone's looking into doing that, what what kind of factors go into getting a quote for that kind of service? So really... It depends on the features and kind of the timeline of the app. So faster timeline is going to mean a higher quote than integrating any sort of third party services. So if you're integrating something like Facebook or integrating any sort of special controls or sensors on the iPhone, like motion controls, then um, that's going to up your quote. And then the complexity of the data that's being used, especially if it's data that's going to be stored locally or remotely, there's going to be some complexity there. And that that will take take more time because that's essentially what we're talking about is quality and time. The more you pay, the more time it will take and the more higher quality will also mean a higher quote for those services Uh, because that quality also takes time, of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, offline capabilities, not a lot of apps necessarily need that, but a lot of apps want to have the ability of just ha- having online and offline capabilities. So syncing and things like that, any sort of UI complexity, any UX complexity, uh, chat, uh, the amount of number of screens is a good indicator of how complex an app is going to be and how, how much the price is going to be. And then the, this is much more an issue on Android, but as far as iOS is concerned, it's what operating system versions you support, what devices you support. So is this just an iPad app? Is it just an iPhone app? Is it support iOS 12, iOS 11? How far down the chain are you going? And that usually factors into the price uh, of the quote for uh, developing an app. And also another thing to mention is in many cases we're thinking uh, a green app, um, but we're talking, you know, starting an app from scratch that has its challenges, but also picking up an app that's already been developed on has its challenges as well. So that's something to, that'll weigh into the, the quote of uh, developing an iOS app. Yeah. So when you talk about like those factors just now, is there like a common app that you could use it as example of like kind of illustrating some of that stuff is you know, maybe like a weather app or something like what when you talk about like UI UX complexity and things like that, like I'm having a hard time envisioning what that means in real life. Sure. So the way I think about it is um, a lot of times customers, depending on how much they want to do when it comes to getting requirements for an app, have a pretty good idea of what 
screens they want. And so I usually get into the process of asking them, okay, what, what does this app do? What are you trying to do as your end goal? And then figure out, okay, we'll need a screen for this and a screen for that. And then the screen will go to that. And then I'll start thinking about like different edge cases because we always have to think like what, what happens in this case, what happens in that case. And kind of what I do is kind of in a spreadsheet, we'll write out the different screens that an app will need in order for it to, to essentially work. And then, um, so for instance, uh, we developed a nurse training app and that uses about four different tabs and probably, uh, each of those have different dialogues for adding credits for a nurse. And so we'll have say 12 screens in that app, just kind of roughly, and so then I look at the complexity, how much data is being entered. Is it like one field, two fields, three fields? Uh, how complex is that data? Is that data dependent on certain variables? Is there a certain range of acceptable values? And then that factors into some of the UX that's involved or the user experience, because I want to make sure that the user is walked through the app easily and knows what they need to do. And it's intuitive. So I kind of rough guess um, how many hours that's going to be for each screen. And then we also talk about like, for instance, with a brand new app, there's some setup time usually involved. And then for each app uh, there's going to be, or each screen there's going to be testing involved say every week or two weeks. So that gets added in as well. Um, And then of course at the end, there's the issue of getting into the app store, assuming it's an app store app and there's always time involved there because you'll always find all sorts of issues um, when you get into the app store. And there's also dependencies for their marketing or graphic design folks to make sure that they have the assets that are needed to get into the app store. Hmm. Wow. Do you find that um, when people approach you about getting a quote or something, do they have a a full understanding of the the things that you're talking about or usually have to really kind of work with people to even explain that? Um, Usually what I like to do is kind of do a rough tree of how the app is going to work. And then from there, I'll go ahead and uh, make estimates for each of those things. Um, Sometimes we, I might do something like an initial uh, consultation for a fee, depending on how complex the app is. So, And then what I like to do early on in the project is have basically an app that doesn't work, but at least has the UI and the workflow that they expect out of the app. Um, So that way, early on in the process, they're there confirming how the app is going to work eventually at some point. What are the things, you know, let's say someone wants to get a do a development project. And they get, let's say, three different quotes. What's the reasons, you know, if the prices are kind of varying pretty significantly, what what could be different there? What would you be maybe missing out on if you go with the least expensive? Sometimes they are perhaps using services that might expedite the development process without really offering any ability to customize it later. Um, or perhaps it's using some sort of different method besides building it native uh, Apple like Swift or Objective-C. Um, and we can talk about the different methods for developing apps later. 
But um, and it's all kind of based on maybe an ex- sense of experience or, you know, just kind of taking shortcuts and things like that. There's some app building templates out there that people might be using as well, which doesn't really fit with what they want. But um, really, you're getting different quotes based on pro- possibly the quality of work um, and just what features haven't been completely fleshed out early in the process. Yeah. So when you say, for instance, that you won't be able to be updated later or something, does that mean they kind of cobble something together and then that's just kind of it and you can't add to it later or. Yeah, that could definitely be the case in in many ways. Do a lot of people like when they make an app want to update it later or is it kind of 50, 50 or, you know, like, well, yeah, we made this and and it's good enough and we just kind of let it lie. I think it's 50, 50, but with a lot of, at at least with iOS, you need to keep updating your app. If you're going to want people to use it when you come out, with a new iPhone that's bigger or has a notch or uses a different, um, has a different design, then you pretty much have to update your app. Um, you can't get away with keeping on the app store cause Apple can just drop the app if it doesn't work on newer phones. Mm-hmm. And so when you're saying people, you maybe use like a template or something, so is it, is it kind of like a square peg and a round hole thing where it's like, well, we have this starting point and we're going to kind of make it work for you. Or- yeah. That's exactly what, what you could run into is somebody could just be using uh, like a, a template and um, they're not maintaining it and they're not um, keeping it working, keeping it going. Uh, so when the new phones come around, they haven't updated the template or they haven't updated the app. Um, you're, you're going to have to just come back to those people to update the app and you're kind of dependent on them at that point. So you're saying you couldn't have somebody else come in and and update it then? Well, somebody else could, but they're going to charge for whatever it takes to reconfigure that app that might be outside of their wheelhouse. So what, what is the difference between starting from scratch? Like to me, I feel like when you start from scratch with something, it's going to take longer and it's going to be more expensive. But then you're saying if you're using a template or, you know, kind of a starting point that somebody else has made, then that can create problems later on too. What, how do you, do, do you ever start with a template or anything or do you always kind of start from scratch? I've started with some templates before, or at least started with other development projects and, it really depends on that previous team and how well they did. If they did a good job and structured their app well, then it might not be that big of a deal to pick it up. But um, if it's just coupled together, like what we're talking about, then yeah, there could be some serious issues trying to bring that app in. And if it's old enough that it uses some old code that doesn't work anymore, um, that could be a serious issue for Uh, the new team that comes in and adds new features to the app. And and they also, they might come to a conclusion that some of this stuff is worth just burning down and starting from scratch. If there, if we've been kind of talking about different ways of going about it, does that mean that there are different methods for developing apps for the iPhone? Yeah. So we kind of talked about some templates. There's app building templates out there, Um, but there's also different methods that deviate from just doing it the Apple way, so to speak. So there's what I like to call like the web development wrapper way of doing it and the uh, building it in my own favorite language, but still making it native way of doing it. And they each have their advantages. 
So with the web development wrapper, uh, that's typically something like Cordova or Ionic. Um, Cordova was built by Adobe. And essentially what it is, is you build a web app and then it, so you're just doing regular HTML and things like that to build uh, the app and it's wrapped. Um, But you still have access to certain native features on that phone. So to the user, it looks like it's a, it looks like just regular app out of the box, but to, to you, the developer, you're actually just building a web page. Um, there's some questions as far as how to get something like that into the app store that can sometimes be a challenge. But if you do it right, um, there's quite a few apps that are built using that technology. Uh, the so other one, Go when ahead. You say native, what do you mean by native? So what I mean by native is when I say at least looking native is a app that doesn't look like something that's hacked together using custom components or uh, packaged like it doesn't use like actual Apple d- design elements that people typically use when they build an app. So like I've been on certain apps that have like a weird wood grain or it has buttons that don't look quite right or has drop down menus, which you don't really see in a lot of uh, Apple apps. And that kind of gives a good indication they use some custom software to build it. Uh, unless of course it's, it's designed well and it uses kind of some of the third party tools we'll talk about in a little bit. So like with a web web development wrapper, sometimes it'll just have a weird color scheme attached to it, or it'll have different menus that you don't typically see in an, in an app that's developed natively, uh, using Xcode and the tools that Apple has available. Okay. So it just kind of feels a little off or looks a little off at best. Yeah, exactly. Okay. okay. And then what at worst, it just doesn't work correctly. Or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, it doesn't follow the paradigms that people typically are used to when they use a iOS app. Mm-hmm. So we talk about, go ahead. Well, if, so if it's clunky and weird like that, why do people even make them or release them? Cause it's cheap and easy. So, I mean, that's kind of it. Also, maybe maybe they're focusing on Android, so they just wanted to make sure it works on Android. And if it works on iOS, that's fine. Uh, it's a lot of that. So that is the benefit of a lot of these different methods is that you can ideally develop for both Android and iPhone at the same time. Um, but in a lot of cases, your UI won't look natural on Android, but also won't look all that natural on iPhone as well. Hmm. Okay. Cause That's you've made compromises. Yeah. I didn't think it went that both ways because I, I've always heard, you know, when I complain about different apps that I use on my Android, usually people are like, well, it's cause you have an Android. <laughs> so I just thought, well, okay. I didn't realize that happened to, iPhones and stuff too. Yeah. 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 There's definitely some crappy apps out there on the iPhone. All right. So what other ways are there to develop apps than besides this cobbled thing? So we talked about building a web website or web page and then packaging it as an app, kind of what Cordova or Ionic does. Um, And then the other method is, Uh, developing it in a specific language that your development team might know uh, in a lot of cases, JavaScript, and then building, building it using that uh, for, uh, for iPhone or iPad. Um, 
And you see that a lot with uh, native script, which is uh, built by the folks at progress. And, uh, but even more popular, we see that with react native, which is uh, built by the folks at Facebook. Uh, React is really popular amongst folks in the web development circles. And so if you're somebody who's already from, you already have a web team and they're already familiar with React, then it makes sense. Um, maybe you just reuse those same people to build an app using React Native. And it uses the same, a lot of the same things that React does, uh, but you can use it to build a, a, basically a native app. Whereas the first one takes a series of web pages or and uh, HTML files and kind of puts it in a frame or wraps it, this one actually converts the code into a native code. Yeah. So it actually is building a, a, a app. There's no HTML or anything like that in the app. It's actually building uh, native features, but it's converting it to native uh, from JavaScript in these cases or native scripts. Okay. Have you done all these different methods? Well, the one that I've used is uh, Xamarin, which is uh, by the owned essentially by the folks at Microsoft. So that uses C sharp to build apps. Um, the problem that I found was you're constantly these, these tools have to catch up with Apple or Google to make sure that they're compatible. So Apple might come out with new stuff That means you have to be dependent on them to make sure that they're updating their tools to work with whatever is new uh, when it comes to Apple. So there can be a little bit of a support issue. Also, uh, at least with Xamarin, those files can get pretty large because they have they may have like a, a file in there that has to do all the heavy lifting of making sure that the app works Um even though it's written in a different language. So your app size might be a little bit large or a little bit slower because of that. Um, those That's kind of the issues that I ran into, at least when it came to developing using Xamarin. So developers use different methods? Yeah. Um, you'll see a lot, a lot of teams, they might just do React Native because that's what they know React. So it's easier for them to just go ahead and stick with that. Um, or they might be a bunch of web developers, so it might just be quick and easy to to, to use Cordova or Ionic in that case. So one of the related words or phrases, I guess I've heard, is continuous integration. So how does this relate to continuous integration? Well, we're talking early about experience, testing, UI complexity are kind of the factors that might make a quote. Uh, more expensive. And one of the things is being able to continually make sure that as software is written, that it actually is tested. Um, So there's a common term in programming called something like unit testing, for instance, where you'll write a thing that does addition. So you'll write a method or function that does addition, takes two numbers, outputs the sum, Right. And then the way a unit test will work is you might have a series of numbers that, you know, add up to another number and you want to continually test to make sure that if you add two and two, that it'll always equal four with this function. If you add four and six, it'll always equal 10 and so on. Um, That's just kind of a really simplified sample. But you might have some developers come in and have make modifications to this method. So that it does things like take negative numbers or take decimal points. So then 
you need to make sure that you add those tests and you continually are testing both with the new tests, but also the old tests as you make changes to this function that adds two numbers together. So that's kind of the idea of continuous integration is as your team comes in and makes changes to different functions and methods and features within an app that the app still works based on the old code that's been written before. Um, And typically how that's done is you might have a machine, a separate individual machine, or you might use some service in the cloud that will take your code, build it and make sure everything works no matter the environment that it's in and that it works on whatever you support and whatever devices you intend to support. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, a little bit. I I guess I'm having a hard time imagining like do some people not test throughout their development? Yeah. I mean, everybody quote unquote tests, but typically it's, so does it work? Like, and you just kind of use the app and it works and you're fine, but there are so many outliers and different things that people do or might might do differently. And there's different kind of testing, of course, but you'd be surprised how many teams don't test uh, and don't do things like continuous integration. Yeah, it makes me wonder there's stuff going on at work where they developed a new system and it has never quite functioned right. And then they will do bug fixes. And then the next day, a bunch of other things have been broken. And it's always kind of intrigued me, like, why is this happening? <laughs> yep. And that's a lot of cases. What they find is, you know, the testing is part of the thing that gets cut because if it works good enough, then it works good enough. Um, and that's unfortunate in a lot of cases. Yeah. So do you, is this the method you use the continuous integration? Yeah. Um, actually last night when I was in Ann Arbor, I talked about um, speculate and how I used continuous integration. I used a cloud service, uh, Travis CI, uh, which is available for free for open source projects, which is really nice because a lot of services that do continuous integration in the cloud are expensive uh, because of how much it costs. You pretty much have to get a Mac machine in order to do it. So, um, yeah, last night I talked about Travis CI and how um, there's some customization involved, but also one of the biggest challenges is if you are building, in this case, a Mac app, or especially if you're building an app for the app store, you have to make sure that you have certificates and keys set up so that, like, for instance, in the case of Travis CI, you might want to just upload it to the app store uh, as soon as your testing is verified and it works correctly. So that's always uh, something to keep in mind is um, to make sure that you have your environment set up correctly and you have things like certificates and provisioning profiles and all the little doodads and security stuff that Apple requires when you want to post something to app store. If you're, or in the case that I ran into just distribute, uh, uh, the app, um, downloadable. So there's some other services out there. There's like Mac stadium, where you typically you're like renting a machine essentially on a monthly basis. And um, there's Jenkins. If you want to run it on site or Xcode server, um, which uh, I've been playing around with lately. And um, the idea is you're not running it on a machine. Like you'll especially run into the issue where a developer has something specifically set up and it works fine on this developer machine. But then when they run it on somebody else's machine, it doesn't work well, you need to know that because if you're going to write a piece of software, you need to know what's dependent and what needs to be set up or what you're missing in your application in order to get it to work. 
Uh, it's really nice with iOS because you can just run it in a simulator. Uh, but even simulators have some major differences to how it works on an actual device. So you want to have access to something you can reset and start from scratch and run the app and make sure it works. So is this automated? Is this something you set up and say test every day at 10? Or is it something that you do yourself? Or how does it work? So there's a couple of things you could do. You can set up on a schedule. So you could say I'll run it hourly or daily. You can, uh, especially if you're using something like Git to control code, where code gets checked in. You can listen for changes to the code on, on like the central server. And when a code change happens, you can get the code and run it on the continuous integration machine. So it's another way to do it. And um, typically those are kind of the two, two main ways is you run it on any code change that you listen to or run it on a scheduled basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, you know, kind of your average customer um, is is considering a developing an app? Are there certain things that they would maybe assume comes along with it, but it doesn't, or just things for them to keep in mind as they start thinking about this? So we talked about continuous integration testing. That's something that they should look into and ask questions. What kind of testing do you do? What kind of testing environment do you have? Another thing you want to ask is, Analytics. I don't think people think about that enough, but I think it's super important to have some analytics to know how people are using your app and what issues they have. Is there any sort of bug reporting that's natively built into the app? Something like Instabug or um, Bugsnag or some service like that. Um, also, animations like that stuff is pretty complex. Um, they don't make the assumption that there's any animations, any custom fonts, any custom graphics. Those are things that you have to think about uh, when you're building an app. And then any sort of like backup support, any sort of are you going to actually own the code when it's done? What kind of services are there for maintaining the app? Uh, is that baked into your contract or into your quote? So those are some things to think about when you're asking somebody uh, to build an app for you, essentially. Okay. Do you, do you offer those different things depending on what your customers want, or do you kind of have a standard, like I always have bug reporting and analytics or something like that? I always ask the customer what they want um, because it really depends on their budget. Um, coming up from my end, I want to make sure that I stay within their budget uh, yeah. and make sure that I'm not adding in extra services they might not need. Cause in some cases they just need a simple app. And then, which is what I usually suggest depending on the budget is like build something simple, get like a, not a, not a prototype, but like a usable proof of concept that you can get to your customers so they can actually start using it. And then if you see like there's some issues or there's some features that we really need to flesh out, then, you know, come back to me. Let's, let's build version 2.0 and really, really flesh this thing out. So is it easier for people to come in and kind of know how much they have to spend or is it better to have a range and then work with someone like you to to start to home in on like what features they want or what's the best way to approach a project like that? I think both. I think what is the ideal app you're looking at building and then what's your budget? And that gives a good idea of Because the budget really is going to give me a good idea of what kind of features are reasonable. And also, of course, the timeline, like, well, how soon do you expect it to be done? And that really gives me a good idea because 
I want to build the best app within what somebody can can spend. And knowing those factors really help communicate clearly to me and clearly to them what can be done within that range. I I work to make my customers happy and I want them to be happy. And I hate to be in a position where I over promise and that's something I never do. So the other thing uh, to keep in mind is sometimes what the customer want is it wants isn't really what the customer wants. And so, you know, I could do a really kind of basic estimation, but if they want something more fleshed out, what I like to do is kind of do a requirements analysis and get an idea of what, what are they really, what's their end goal? And then kind of design around that and um, maybe build a report that at the very least, if they don't want that app, then they can, they can take that to somebody else and go, Oh, you know, we had an analysis done. This is kind of what we're looking at getting built and maybe take it to somebody else to have it built for them. If that's uh, much more, uh, a better fit for them. So it really depends on their budget too. Like, do they want to spend some money on a on a kind of uh, a report that we can take and then build an app against, or do we want to put a, a quick estimate together and build based on that? And so, you know, that depends too, is like how, how much of an analysis do they want beforehand? Can, do you have any examples of someone thought maybe they wanted something, but it, what they really wanted was something else? Yeah. In a lot of cases I've found that people, you hear the, I have a great idea for an app thing and i think i'm always surprised at how many times people haven't just looked in the app store to see if that app already exists because a lot of times it does and in a lot of cases it doesn't work very well so that can always be a challenge i think too i think in a lot of cases people don't get into the specifics of the rules that they have in mind um, and they don't think of the weird edge cases that actually come up more often than they think. And so they think something is fairly simple, but then they realize that there's going to be situations where in fact it isn't that simple. And that um, there might be a lot a situation where people are running into all sorts of issues because there are certain, certain things that they need. Like uh, for instance, we had that nurse training app where uh, we have on occasion where there are nurses that need certifications in multiple states. So that's a big deal because, you know, that might have been built to only support one state. And uh, if you're somebody who has who needs to get certifications in two states, you need to track those credits accordingly in both states. And this is something people didn't think about. And uh, we we brought that in. And so there are always situations like that. and. Especially what you get with somebody like me is I've been developing in the Apple space for almost a decade now, and I understand how different UI and UX paradigms work on Apple, and what people expect uh, from an app that's on an Apple device. And those are yeah. things to think about as well. You had mentioned earlier, one of the questions was about like who owns the code. Can you explain more what, what that means? Right. So you'd always want somebody who develops an app for you to give you a copy or access to the code or repository. I mean, I I feel like that's a requirement with any app. So there are people that don't like they develop stuff and then don't give it to the customer. Exactly. 
Um, and that is always something to check on. Um, I'm surprised. What would be the reason? Maybe in a lot of cases, they don't even think about the code. They just want the app in the app store. Um, yeah. And maybe they don't want the customer to see how poorly the code is written. I always provide the code like that just makes common sense. Yeah. But you'll find situations where that isn't the case. Okay. So, yeah, definitely wouldn't have thought about that. So if someone were interested in investigating this, do people offer like a free consultation or is there usually like a fee to kind of start to explore? Depends on how much you want me to break down the estimate. If you want something for pretty basic, then I could probably do it for free. But I think it's always better to like talk to the customer, start like sketching things out. Um, and then of course, when it gets more details, then it's not a free consultation. But for a very basic act, yeah, I've, I've done free consultation, certainly. I just mean like if I don't even have any idea, like I'm thinking mm, I want an app. Uh, I could probably spend $5,000. I mean, is that even like in the realm of reality? Like, how do you even know what you'd need to put aside for that? No, I, I think a $5,000 app would be well below the budget um, at this point. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's possible to do a five grand app, but it's not going to have a lot of features, <laughs> quite frankly. Yeah. Um, I, I think like right now you're talking okay. base price for an app would be 10 grand and it goes up from there. And I think that... Yeah. Uh, so typically, you know, that's where you need to start thinking about like third party services, analytics, complexity, offline UI, UI and UX complexity and, and things like that. Um, and that's where the price kind of increases from there. Um, so other than getting like referrals from people that have worked with folks, is there other ways to kind of tell if, if you you know, who's a good developer and if they, they know what they're doing. I think look at their portfolio. I think that's a great way to look at their references and then kind of get an idea of talk to them about how a typical timeline will work. And you want somebody that's going to be honest with you and tell you all the different missteps that can go along the way and all the different gotchas that happen uh, in the app development process, uh, especially with like Apple, like they always something that'll come up is your app gets rejected for the app store. Now, what are you going to do? Um, and you have to think about those things and you want a developer that'll be honest with you and forthright about the different issues that could come up. But like I said, portfolio references, what's on the app store. What are, what do they have as far as on the company website? Uh, what do they have that talks about this kind of stuff? That's going to give you some confidence to know that they're, they're actually doing what they're talking about. So is it safe to assume there are going to be hiccups, there are going to be speed bumps, and it's just kind of a matter of what they are and when they're going to happen? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yep. So if and basically anyone tries to tell you it's just going to be smooth sailing and nothing bad's going to happen, that's a red flag? Yeah, I would say so. It's definitely a red flag. And like if they haven't given you a portfolio or a list of references, like that's that's a red flag as well because they probably don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. So what kind of things, you know, besides getting a budget, are there certain things that a customer should think about beforehand or prepare in order to, to make the most of that time? Um, have have regular meetings with that customer. Talk to them. Make sure you have a copy of the app to test around on your own machine, on your own iPhone, so that you can look at it, get it into your hands as quickly as possible so you can see it and talk about it and look at what, what issues come up. And I think that's a big part of it. I feel like what we've talked about does make it 
maybe seem less scary to me, you know, if this was something I was going to be investigating for myself, which I think is a big, big thing, right? I mean, a lot of technology stuff, I feel like it's kind of based on fear. You either make decisions based on fear or you don't make decisions based on fear. So, you know, I think anything that makes it a little more easier to understand is is good. Right? Going to our discussion previously about continuous integration, I think it'll be interesting to see how Mac Minis fit into other develop, development shops and how they might employ uh, Mac Minis in their environment. Because, you know, that I think is the biggest draw of getting a Mac Mini is having a continuous integration machine you can you could format and do all sorts of stuff with and break essentially without having to worry about, you know, the cost of getting a ginormous machine to do it. Because it just needs to run every so often and test your work. Yeah. Well, cool. This has been super interesting. I always learn a lot from our discussions. Yeah. Well, thank you, Teresa. Yeah, great. I can't wait till next time. Yep. Talk to you later. Bye.